Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. It's like I've forgotten how to say hello. <laughs> hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and producer, Carolina Gropa. On today's episode, we continue our chat with Alana Mayo. If you tuned in last week, you know that the conversation was juicy and full of incredible insight. If you haven't heard the first part of our chat, I recommend pausing this and checking it out as this episode is very much a continuation of that talk. So we left off with the inclusion writer. To quickly summarize, it's basically an amendment to contracts that guarantee cast and crew diversity on all productions. The conversation on diversity definitely continues this week as we try to understand why hiring a diverse team is so challenging at times. Alana also gives us the recipe to the secret sauce of producing. We talk a lot about professional identity and not letting it define our self-worth. It's a topic that comes up often for me and pretty much most people I know who work in this crazy business. It can be really exhausting, especially in a town like LA where when you meet people, usually the first question they ask is, what do you do? It's really refreshing to speak to someone who's at the top of their game, who is real, who's authentic, and who doesn't shy away from discussing how much of this business is often a lot of smoke and mirrors. I can't wait to hear what you think of part two of our chat. So let's dive back in with Alana. There is this double-edged sword of like, I don't necessarily think that we should crew up just minorities and women just because if they are also not on an equal playing field to any other professional, you know, but to not even give them a shot right. to get into the room is the problem. You're not even being considered fairly against yeah. a cis white male who That's right. was recommended, you know? And to me, it's like for every one guy you recommend, there yeah. should also be at least one woman yeah. and one person of color, period. Well, that's basically what the inclusion writer asked for. It's, 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 it's not a quota or it doesn't create a quota system. It asks for a change in the practices and how mm. you look at hiring and how you approach hiring and who gets considered. And I totally agree, but you bring up a really interesting point. What has to happen actually is people have to be given opportunities that on paper don't have as much or a level of experience as other people who are great. Like, yeah. I don't think that, that a person should get a job if they're not as qualified or if they're not as good or if they don't inspire as but much But it's like the chicken or the egg. It's like, well, then how do you get that experience? How am I going to get that one thing on my resume that even gets me to be considered to be interviewed for that same job, you know? And so maybe it's really boosting up the culture of mentorship in our industry, which is sort of non-existent. Yeah. I mean, you know, I get a lot of people asking me, oh, can I come shadow you? Can I come be like just in your world? And so much of this stuff that we're talking about is stuff that you learn by osmosis, is stuff that you learn by listening and being in the room and seeing how a production designer would handle that situation. I totally agree with that. So I that's do. me idealizing no, no, no. How, we, no, how we take I totally, over. I totally agree with that. But I think it. I think that people have started to do that yeah. and have started to, I think that's in some ways the easier thing to do, right? Because it's not a risk. You're basically like, I'm going to pay this person 
less money to just come here and be here. And, and I'm actually put the onus on usually a person who themselves is from an underrepresented mm-hmm. group, a woman, a you know, person of color, whatever, to have other people shadow them and learn. Right. And I think that's I think you're absolutely right. Like learning and training and crafts is super important. If like they're not the person that, you know, that that would have gotten that position otherwise. And they're they, they're great. Like they're yeah. wonderful. So the thing that you said that I, I think people need to hear is if somebody says oh my god I'm looking around my camera department and I've got it's all they're all white straight men to me then the job of the producer Mm -hmm. is to say okay we're gonna pick up the phone and we are going to call all of our other friends who have done other shows and said, hey, who do you know? We want to hire somebody who's like not from this, you know, team. We want to hire somebody different. Who do you know who is great as a whatever, insert whatever role, and try to find people that come highly recommended and hire them. Because once, because what makes a even bigger difference than being able to put on your resume that you've shadowed somebody or that you have all this experience. I, I have a friend who's a woman who's a director who has so much experience. I swear to God, she has more experience directing television than most people have that get hired to do things because she shadowed on so many shows with so many people and she's had so many mentors and she's done the work. Like she would have the equivalent of a doctorate in directing <laughs> right now for the amount of work that she's done. And what makes a difference for her her and her career is actually being able to say, I directed that episode and soon, hopefully I directed that pilot, you know? Right. So, so it really is like, look, sometimes you do what you can and you can't get to where you want to be. And and that's because we do have a systemic problem and it's not going to be fixed overnight, right. you know? And there's a lot of production. Most of us shoot in the same five, six, seven places. And so you're competing for the same crew. Sometimes you don't have the luxury of hiring whoever you want to. Sometimes you have, producers and filmmakers or directors or whatever or stars who don't care and like you don't have the support you need but I think there's such a huge opportunity and producers in this moment in time sit in such a privileged position to affect change because I get these calls all of the time and like not even specific to wanting to hire people who are from underrepresented groups just wanting to hire somebody great you mm-hmm. know like I'm I'm making a movie that's half of the cast is people with brown skin I need a key makeup artist who can do makeup for people with brown skin and not make them look crazy under lights <laughs> you know I had a friend who my friend Denise who who produces with Issa Rae and I was like who do you know who is a line producer who's maybe worked in the South, like maybe not Atlanta and maybe not Georgia, maybe not Louisiana, whatever we make. This is how people get hired. We make recommendations and referrals all of the time. So to me, there's not an excuse unless everyone in your circle also has only worked with white straight cis men, which is like, then Then that's a bigger problem. (laughs) You got a bigger problem. (laughs) Look at your circle, but there's no excuse for not at least making the effort effort. and you will find, I mean, God, we just did this movie, just mercy. I'm so excited about that. So, so cool. Yeah. It's a beautiful movie. And like obsessed with Destin. So he's amazing. And like he and his, you know, his producers, Gil Netter and, and, and Asher Goldstein are owed so much credit because one, it was, it was a great learning experience for me because I realized that like you can set as a director and as producers, you can set a tone for your set on day one and people will rise to meet it. Yes. And the people that don't, you Gone. identify initially yes. and you're like, hey, we have a zero tolerance policy for this. But that show had 75, 70% diversity in terms of women, people of color, LGBTQ. 
And it was one of the best sets I've ever been on in my life. It was so efficient and so well run and had such a great energy. It was so exciting. I was able to pop in and out, thankfully. It was so fun for me whenever I went to visit. Like, I was like, this is doable. It's one anecdotal example, but my God, how amazing when you achieve that and and still end up having incredible people yeah. that are great at their jobs, you know? So people have forgotten that at the end of the day, like you mentioned earlier, we're all creating art together. And if you are operating from a place of fear, like what kind of art do you think that's going to get created? Right. And if you can't control the resolution, you can control the process. That for sure you can control. So make that set the best it can be, you know, make people want to be there, not just because they're getting paid, but because they love the environment that you're creating. I think that's the least we can do and really just infuse more. I don't know. It's like very woo woo, but more love and more support and people really just yearning to come to work and work 16 hour days and be like, you know what? But it's it's worth it. It's fun. It's I may not be so making true. the rate that I want or whatever the thing is, whatever reasons, you know, a crew member yeah. specifically has for taking on a job that they feel like appreciated at the Amen. end of the day, you know, and I, I that is my mission in this industry and in my career is to create we should figure out a show to work on because (laughs) not everybody i mean that really it's hard to do i'm not gonna lie it is not not everybody's on board with that kumbaya bullshit i get that that's it but everybody is still a human being and there's humanity in that right well this is why women should be hired specifically because there are more women that understand that women are um Oh my God, I'm embarrassed to quote. I was watching that R. Kelly documentary last oh. night, um, which is a whole podcast in of itself. Yes. But <laughs> this woman who is a psychologist was talking about how women are relational in nature, which I don't know if this is true or not. It's weird for me to quote her, but let's just go with that as a theory. Right. That we, you know, that we connect with people. We, we process the world through our relationships with other people. This is a relational business. It's, mm-hmm. it's a business that needs a high level of communication And I don't just mean like talking and telling people things or hearing people tell you things. I mean, understanding how to communicate with people so they can hear you and so you can get your point across. It's something that requires a humility, understanding that there is a bigger thing. You are always in a team environment, whether Mm -hmm. you're in a department or you're working on the projects as a whole. It is something that is incredibly detail oriented it's something that requires a a, both a a myopic level of focus on a specific thing and also a big picture understanding of a holistic goal these are things that women inherently are really good at doing and I think women have a much healthier again these are just theories for Milana <laughs> I think that we I'm, I'm, I'm here for it I'm here for it let's start a whole we have, exactly that'll Hashtag be my podcast Alana exactly a lot of theories I'm telling you I'm usually right but um <laughs> the the women have a much healthier relationship to your our egos and so what some people may view as kumbaya actually is the necessary skill set to make this thing function Mm. it just is yes let's go with that antiquated stereotype running a household ain't dissimilar from running a movie production Mm -mm. children all around i mean just herding children and cats and you've got snacks all the time i'm saying it's analogous (laughs) and i really think that women are uniquely suited for producing a lot of people look at producing as an antagonistic profession it can't be 
It can't be. And also, as the producer, what you want and need never matters. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Like, your wants and needs should never be bigger than any other person that's mm-hmm. working there. And it should for sure never be bigger than the project that you're trying to make. Yeah. So who is uniquely better suited for subjugating put, yeah, their, their own, own needs. needs for the needs of other people because they've women. been doing it historically <laughs> women, <laughs> out of course, not by choice. So anyway, I say all that to say I'm a huge believer that <laughs> like you put women in positions of hiring both both because women just hire better. We do. That's that's there's I will find something for you to cite in this because there's any number of studies that say that. We hire better. Yeah. Meaning better people and more inclusively. And then also because what actually makes you good at either producing a project or overseeing it from a directing standpoint or overseeing it from a department head are things that stereotypically but historically women have either had to do or mm-hmm. have been better at doing. I'm just saying. No, I think you're you're on yeah. it. You, Thank you. Nailed it. Thank you. Um, how do you feel that this industry has defined you? It I it doesn't. I it's funny you ask that question because I have this conversation in my personal relationship a lot my partner you know feels like she is impartial part of her life identity and her how she defines herself is by being a writer and an actor and Mm -hmm. a producer and entertainer not entertainer but creative I feel the exact opposite you know I feel like I am Alana I'd be Alana if I did this or if I didn't do this I like to feel like I'm impressionable to the extent that like this profession is a part of my life experience and I don't and I want to be shaped and molded and learn from my life experience but I refuse to be defined by this industry Mm. because it's fake it's completely an artifice (laughs) you know like we when when I was a kid they used to say that I told stories as a euphemism for I used to lie a lot when I was a kid (laughs) And I'm like, those the, telling stories and lying are, are, are the same. at least a little bit analogous, yeah. you know? So I think, I think for me to feel defined by this industry in any shape or form puts me on a shaky ground and foundation. Now, if you were like Alana and list 10 things about yourself, I would for sure list my profession and my career as a part of your identity, but not all of your identity. So your self-worth is not derived from this or the success or what cool celebrities you're working with. No, God, no, no. (laughs) What, What I, what I will say I am fulfilled by and what I'm so grateful for is that like, I love people and I'm very grateful for all of the relationships I have in my life and have had in my life from family to friends and everything in between and I have had the opportunity to have relationships with people that I would have never met otherwise that have really impacted me and you know like and shaped me like he's gonna think like I'm a crazy person but I worked with this one director who we had we had um brunch very early on in the process and and um it ended up being like a really good conversation and he was like asking me life questions and at the end of our conversation he kind of like leaned back and he was like oh he was like you're an outsider and I was like oh my god yeah like I completely identify as an outsider and I was like that's amazing that you picked up on that like I don't think a lot of people get that about me and he was like oh that's a good thing he was like people are going to want you to assimilate into this industry and this like culture and they're going to want you to feel more like them 
but just be an outsider. Like that's who you are. And that's like really, really valuable. And it was like, forget professionally. It was transformative just in terms of how I looked at this feeling that I always had that I could never necessarily put language to. And that very few people ever commented on in a way that like helped me understand myself and how I relate to the world. And that's a, that was something that came from a professional relationship, you Mm. know? So, so I, to me, the real kind of defining thing about doing this professionally is those experiences that you have and those people that you meet. The rest of it is like, who honestly gives a shit? Right. But that's me. I'm also, no, like, I, if Lena were here, she'd be like, here a lot of ghosts. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but that's just me. I'm not saying that's even right. So well, I, I think I think you have a, a wonderful, very healthy perspective on it. And I think especially as somebody who has mostly freelanced my whole career, I have never been in-house somewhere. I haven't been with a team that I've grown with. I'm this sort of, you know, traveling circus person. There is this challenge to not have your self-worth be defined by a job because – I like to get shit done, but I can't get shit done unless someone's hiring me to get shit done. I mean, of course I can. I have my own projects I'm developing all the time, but I don't feel good after like two, three weeks of downtime. I go stir crazy. And then you start to question everything, you know, am I good enough? Am I a fraud? You have your imposter syndrome. Am I going to ever work again? Is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I look younger than I, you know, all of that goes through your head. And I know I can speak from my own experience that those cycles have been uh, very tumultuous in my life. And as I get older, I start, I try to start not being as affected by the downswings of when I'm not working or when I'm not getting to work at the level that I think I want to be at. Right. So really trying to not let that, and that's not necessarily that in the industry, I think it's more my own perception of, of the industry. But when you're sort of going from these extremes of set life and being around a hundred people every day who need you, who need something from you. And then you go into this hole of like, Oh, no one's calling. Oh, my phone's not blowing up. Oh, I don't have emails to answer to like, what the fuck? It's really psychologically not good and not sustainable for your own well-being. So there's a lot of self-work to stay the course and find your value and your own worth that comes from other things yeah. in your life, not just your your job title. And, and to be fair, because I completely agree with that, to be fair, like my kind of absolute response of like, nope, nope, I'm not, is not how I've always felt or been, yeah. you know? And, and I think actually this was born out of, <laughs> I had a job that, you know, I've, I've always been like, I have always been an outsider. I, I, when I mean, when I say outsider, I'm a, contra- a contrarian and I'm somebody who, you know, like even an if, outlier, perhaps an outlier, if you will, <laughs> shout out to Michael B. Jordan and Malcolm Gladwell. Exactly. Both. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, meaning that like, I'm very comfortable knowing that the way that I see the world and the way that I, understand myself in relation to the world is something that I don't share with a lot of people. I've had the, the kind of dichotomy of like feel that being my truth and also having friends and family and like being very social. So that part has been true just of my life. But when I first started doing this professionally, one of the, I think, dangers, uh, there's two cautionary tales that I've personally experienced. And one is that this is, this is, again, it's a job, unless you were kind of like 
born into it through nepotism or like you're a third or fourth generation person it's a job you get to through passion you know there has to be some level of emotional investment there are other ways that are easier to make money you know for a lot of these professions you know you don't have any sort of kind of consistency or stability if you're not in-house and also it's not guaranteed nothing's guaranteed and so much of it is Mm. out of your control so to want to do that knowing all of those things you have to really care and And have something a little off with you and also be (laughs) potentially like in need of some therapy yeah (laughs) like something's a little there's a little tick a little weird but (laughs) So be, what's born out of that passion that you have to keep doing this and to be tenacious about mm. the career because nobody breaks overnight, even if they say they do, what you have to have is is an emotional investment in what you're doing. And that emotional investment makes it hard to draw those boundaries between how do I feel about myself as just myself versus how do I feel about myself in relation to my job and my profession, right? And so I definitely experienced that like when I was first For the first, I'd say, like, six, seven, eight years of doing this, my drive and ambition and passion to be able to do this professionally. And also, like, this is an industry of strivers. And so there's, like, all of this work you do to try to get to the next level or get to the next thing or get to the thing that's your moonlight or your whatever. During that whole period, I had a very unhealthy relationship to what I was doing. And... um. I was really wrapped up in it and I, you know, didn't have any time that I spent on myself or, you know, spent on other relationships in my life. Like I was very, very single. And then I had this, but I was like, but I was like making it, like I was like doing it, you know? And so I was very much fulfilled by that. And then I had this job that I thought was going to be like all of a sudden now I'm an executive at this big company and like I'm going to have, you know, like I'm going to be doing all of these things and, you know, and it was the worst experience I'd ever had in my life. It was so awful. And by the end of it, I was like, I do not want to do this professionally anymore. Like I'm going to join the Peace Corps. I'm going to do something else because I one now feel shittily about myself because this group of people don't seem to value me or what I have to say or don't seem to think that I'm good at this which is a feeling that you know the other type of person that's drawn to this specific career being an executive is is like those type a you know like Mm. book report kids which I was one of them (laughs) uh and and so I was like this is like I feel terribly about myself and also this industry and I was super super like depressed about it, you know, and and I was like, it's impossible to succeed. It's not a meritocracy, like all of those feelings. And thankfully, right after that, I got hired or I like to say rescued by Paramount <laughs> and I had a completely, you know, opposite experience, like as bad as that job was, the job with Paramount was incredible. It was amazing. And all of a sudden, I had mentors and collaborators and I was working on things I cared about and whatever. But I was like, here's the thing. I will never let myself feel the way that I felt in that job. So even though I was infinitely more successful at Paramount than I was in the previous job, I was like, what I don't want to return to is being so wrapped up in this and being so defined by this that my happiness is dependent on whether I'm happy in this job or not. Mm. I was like, if I'm not happy in this job, I'm going to quit. I was like, I'm not taking any shit from any of these people. I will quit. Mm. 
I have to have other things in my life that are important to me. I want to have a family. I'm getting older. Like I want to have, you know, like love in my life. And I want to spend time with the people that matter to me. Like I, I had to go through a really kind of bad professional experience and get to a really low place to recognize what I needed Right. to be happy and well and where your values that. truly lie right That's it exactly takes it. it takes going That's through exactly. that what's the second cautionary tale the second cautionary tale is when you are successful it's like a drug because this is an industry that's so driven by publicity so when you all of a sudden everyone is you know laudatory of you or everyone all of a sudden you know you've had something that's been splashy or you're like this it's such a stupid industry we do these things like in addition to throwing multiple awards to celebrate ourselves we do (laughs) these like list of you know best of this best of my case I was on this list you know like the 35 executives under 35 and I was like and it was it's fun like it's all fun it's all delightful or whatever but I was like oh I could see how a person could start to also need this kind of positive affirmation and validation to feel good about themselves. This business is cyclical. Like nobody stays on top, you know, or like is, is like hot shit for long. You have a moment. Yeah. And I was like, I could see how any person, and I'm not like, it wasn't like people were throwing parades for me or anything, but I was like, I could see how I could get dependent on this mm-hmm. or, or, or feel bad about myself if I weren't getting this kind of external validation. So at that point I was like, okay, in addition to like being like, you'll leave a bad situation and you'll never let anybody negatively affect your opinion of yourself. And that's being humble enough to like know that you can still learn or be criticized. On the flip side, I was like, I can't also get excited or invested in this pendulum goes both ways. So I was like, so I remember having the realization, like it is about the work. So when I'm like, my job is to facilitate other people doing dope shit. I really, really mean that. Like for me, success is working on things that I care about and I believe in and working as hard as I can on them and contributing to projects getting made and content being put out in the world that I care about. Once I start, me personally, start to care about anything else, I know that's a slippery slope that yeah. goes to not a great place. I mean, you you nailed it. I, I had a similar experience when my documentary that I produced, which was one of the first things that really put me in the zeitgeist of this industry, Autism and Love, and, and we premiered at Tribeca, and we were like the talk of the town, and it was just perfect timing with April being Autism Awareness Month, and that doc was all about adults with autism and romantic relationships, and then, um, you know, Robert De Niro had a son with autism, and so we were just like the talk of the town, and I remember having this moment being at some party and being interviewed and, you know, you get to do all of that, which was so cool. And I had always been like, I want to have that experience. And then I got to have it. And I remember riding the subway to wherever I was staying and being like, none of this will matter in like five days. No one's going to remember the thing that has become the highlight of my career is just another Thursday for these reporters. It's just another year of the film festival for everybody here, you know, and you and if you live just for that and those moments of like really short lived glory and excitement, you know, in the fun parties and all of that, if that's what you live for and that's what you're always chasing after is that high or that sense of validation, then you're in trouble because not everybody gets that ever or more than once you know and so I really similar to your I had had also a terrible experience with a terrible film that almost made me leave the business and so if I can't let them destroy me here I also can't let them destroy me by lifting me up with something that is 
fake at the end of the day. It's all because in that moment it benefits that magazine needs to do a story on something. You know, it's all sales at the end it's of the all day. Sales. And everything way, is sales. Just to go full circle, it serves a purpose, you know? Yeah. Like I am so grateful to have like publicists in my life. I don't have a publicist personally, but to have publicists in my life because I'm like, oh, okay. Like I totally get the value of this you know for for again both internally and in 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 managing how people talk about you internally and also externally and having a connection to an audience having a brand that people love and want to you know want to be faithful to like I it's it serves such a valuable and a necessary purpose but again it has to be in service of the work you know, yeah. and so I like I look at Oscars and when I was a studio executive, to me, the whole point of making a movie that you tried to get in the awards conversation was because in the world that we live in, where there's so much content in the world, people have so many options and people are going to the movies less and less and less. And adult dramas aren't as commercial as they used to be, you know, 30 years ago or whatever it was. If something is in the awards conversation, people that otherwise would never know that movie because it probably also wasn't released in their town mm. if they didn't live, you know, in a major market are going to know about it. And and movies that win Best Picture make a multiple at the box office. And that's not that's not for the purpose of making more money. That's just saying to get more people to watch something, you know. But for me, like, ultimately the goal is I think about the things that – that I love and I am so grateful for because they meant something to me or because they're the thing that I like turn on to be put in a good mood or because I want to have a, I don't cry. So that's not me, but like <laughs> I want to like see something romantic or I want to see something life affirming or I'm bored and I want to be entertained. Like I'm grateful for that content existing and for the people that made it right. Like, so I started to think about this job as this is a service job. Like it, it just is. It's just the service that we provide is entertainment, right? Yeah. And so when you start to look at it or education or whatever it may be, when you start to look at it that way, it just shifts your goals and it's less about you being fed and your ego being fed of like I did this great thing that is more public than any other job you know, would allow you to be, you know, nobody celebrates like the guy that makes the part of the engine that makes our cars run, even though we should, you know, <laughs> like this, I have a job that maybe allows me to be in a magazine or allows me to stand on a stage on a nationally televised awards program or whatever the case may be, or yeah. even just within this tiny community of a thousand people or however many people do this professionally, like I'm somebody that people know all of that shit, like can't be, the goal for me personally like mm. for me I'm like if I make something or I'm a part of making something that like people really appreciate or like somebody wants that poster on their college dorm room wall or in their apartment or whatever to me I'm like that is so amazing and so rewarding because again in any other job that you do even though you participate in yeah. the world continuing to turn in some way you're never gonna see the effect of it you know you're never going to see what it means to people and in our jobs we get to see that on a regular basis you get to hear people talk about the thing that you've made you know yeah. and and even if they don't talk about it like you have to make things that you love and that you believe deserve to be out there so that the ones that don't end up finding as much audience you're still like wow how amazing that I got to make that thing and even if five people saw it like those five people get to see this thing that's yeah. really important to me you know so it's I it's like to me the most 
privileged thing that I could have done. Like I should have been a teacher and actually contributed to society, but instead. <laughs> well, you're like, teaching in other ways, right? Yeah. I like to think, yeah. so. Like to think yes. so, but it really yes. is a privilege to do this professionally. So 19 year old girl in college. Speaking thinking of, about this. Speaking of that 19 year old girl, <laughs> what advice would you give for someone who is interested in a very similar career path to yours, particularly? Amazing. I, this is a very good question. Okay trying to give practical advice because I hate when people are like, you know, just, just be like, passionate. Just be yeah. passionate. Just keep yeah, at just it, like, man. It'll happen. It. Yeah. <laughs> the worst advice you ever. You just gotta hustle. Exactly. Ugh. So, so two <laughs> things. I would say put yourself in an environment where things are getting made, right? So for me, moving to LA was actually really phenomenal advice because the film industry in New York was in a steep decline and what was a place where you could live and there were multiple companies making a lot of films was no longer the case. So that can be being in Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver where there's a lot of production. That can be being in Atlanta or Baton Rouge or New Orleans. That can be being in New York. That can be being in L.A. Obviously, if you can make it to L.A., this still is the nexus of, you know, kind of this industry in terms of the concentration of people that are here. But try to physically put yourself where content is being made. And then it's really, to me, simple. It's it's craft, which you can get a bunch of different ways. I actually think the vast majority of people that go to school don't learn the craft in school. You learn the craft by making things. Mm. So, you know, I was I was the person who, like, I had a family friend who had like raised a couple, a few thousand dollars and was like producing his friend's short film in, in, um, in Orlando. And because they knew that I had been working on like student films in New York, they agreed to pay, you know, $200 to fly me out and like put me up in a motel in Orlando to kind of like help produce this short film when I was in college and these are not people like they weren't moneyed people they were just like people you know with a you know they'd raise some money and and like truly I want to stress like not a lot of money and it was I was like okay I'll go you know and and it was really really like that was a great learning experience for me. You know, I was on a film set for a short film that I went and made. I'm telling you, I volunteered for every student film that I saw a posting for on the board in the film school at Tisch at NYU or at Columbia. And I did everything from drive the pass van to I was a boom operator, which you guys can't see me, but I do not have the physicality of a person <laughs> who usually is a boom operator. A lot operator. of Apple boxes for you. <laughs> a lot of Apple boxes. And like, I just do not have upper body strength. So it was a struggle. <laughs> but on that movie, I worked closely with a sound mixer who was a professional sound mixer. And he taught me a lot that I had never learned. So that's really like being on productions and making things and then and then you know being in a place where things are getting made it's hugely hugely important however you can get there right and then the big thing is to find people that can mentor you and people are always like how do you get a mentor and I'm like by any freaking means necessary so like I have cold emails people I have like every job that I've had I've gotten through a relationship but I've never had with the exception of the family friend who was a senior agent at CA who was just really good advice I've never had a person who has put me in a job because of some sort of like connection I was either like I'm temping from 
jobs that I'm getting off of entertainmentcareers.net or Craigslist. I, I'm old. This is 15 years ago, so I don't know what people go on now. But like <laughs> Mandy.com, whatever the website was, I'm like temping on this random thing for no money. I'm making money from like the first two jobs that I had. I did, including the one at the big studio where I was allegedly an executive. I made such little money. Like I could not afford to pay my bills. So I get like financial imperatives. Like mm. I fully, fully understand. And I had another job. I worked at um, tutoring for the Princeton Review and like on the weekends, I would get up on Saturday and Sunday and teach my little SAT class or my ACT class. Or I would tutor privately I'd pick up gigs however and whenever I could. Like they when I was an assistant, you would they would do these like pitch fests and they would which is a total scam, but whatever. I needed the <laughs> money. And I would go like sit across from people and have them speed pitch to me and like tell them like, Oh, I'm interested in this idea or I'm not and take like the hundred dollars from that. Like literally by any means necessary. Yeah. Because you have to be in the room and in the conversation to meet the people that could be your mentor. So like I had all of these shit jobs, but that ultimately got me to people that ended up being massively influential in either teaching me or creating job opportunities for me. And you just glom on like you're my mentor, <laughs> you know, like I am. And I've had people do it to me now. And it's kind of weird being on the other side of it. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, this is totally what I was like, but I'm like, but I'm like, yo, I can't knock the hustle because that was That's me. Like I, I was just like I was just like hey guess what I work for you now and like I have every question and also we're gonna be friends you really do just have to find people that can be um, influential or helpful in what you do thankfully I think there are a lot of people that that was their story and that's how they got to whatever level of success mm. that they got so to. it's like a pay it forward so it's like a pay it forward yeah. and not everybody feels that way but I think there's a lot of people that do mm-hmm and then you just, this part is the advice that most people give, but it's true. Like, you just work fucking hard as shit. And one <laughs> last piece of advice. If you are. I like that. You just fucking work <laughs> hard as shit. You just work really fucking hard. Like, I just, I'm not just saying this because it's me. Like, I have just worked really hard in whatever job that I've been in and and everybody wants that like everybody wants somebody that they can rely on or that they feel like you know is the person that goes a step beyond whatever that means like you just work really really hard but but for people that want to do this now if I wanted to be a producer right now I would have done a thing that I was too scared to do 15 years ago, whenever it was. And, and my friend Kalia and I, who met in an internship program, we like started our own production company in college. And we're like, we're going <laughs> to know that we did. We, it's, it's uh, Pearl Filmworks, I think it was. <laughs> and we had business cards and we were in LLC and we got our parents to give us, you know, like uh, whatever a loan, which we paid back so that we could start our LLC. And the projects that we could have produced back then, I'm not going to name what they were, but there were two projects, one of which the director of the project recently won an Oscar, won a couple, and the the other one of which was nominated, the film itself was nominated for Best Picture. So, like, we actually could have been out here, but mm. um, I was really too scared, for lack of a better word, to take that leap at the time. If I could go back and do it again, I wouldn't do it differently. But if I were in that same position today, I would 100% 
make those movies because now the means to production are so much more accessible than they were before and the distributors that exist now are two if not three times more than existed even 15 years ago yeah so if you are a producer and you or you want to be a producer and you come across a script or you come across a director or somebody who is like i need you to produce my film or i want you to produce my film or you're like i want to produce your film that's actually a worthwhile exercise, even if you don't know what you're doing. Because, again, you can learn mm-hmm. you can learn the basics yes. of it. And you'll make mistakes, but everybody does. So better to make them early. But you can potentially, if you can make something that's at all viable, there's way more opportunities to sell that than there were before. There's camera packages are so much cheaper than mm-hmm. they were. Mm-hmm. 10 years ago you know what i'm saying the number of people that are actually looking to do this professionally yeah. are greater than there were before because production has ramped up so much to feed this need for all of these distributors so if you find the opportunity to make something and you feel like you can raise the money or try to raise the money or you can get into sundance or you can do whatever like chase that because i think making things now it's not that it's easier there's just a healthier marketplace for it than it yeah. was before amazing final question okay what do you want your legacy to be in this industry my belief system in life is that your legacy is your children so hopefully i'll have some babies that won't do this professionally and they'll go be you know like teachers like their mom should have been <laughs> uh, i i just would hope that if like anybody is thinking about me you know after i'm gone or whenever knock on wood Um, that they're like, oh, she was like a cool person. She was a good person and she tried her best and, you know, she, she was cool to work with and, and, you know, and, and made some cool things. Um, that's, that's all I really care about. I don't, you know, I think it's all transient. I always like to say, cause I, I go have drinks at the Sunset Tower all the time, which is like this older kind of establishment. Mm. For sure, every time I'm there, somebody in here who 50 years ago was like the shit that heads would turn when he or she or they walk through. And now we have no idea who they are, you know, and and they probably are nominated for multiple awards. I also sit on the board of the Motion Picture Television Fund, which is most known for the Next Gen Poor People Board. But they're most (laughs) known for having a retirement facility, a beautiful facility in the Valley and and. you know, the kind of motto of the organization is that, you know, we take care of our own. It's actually a small percentage of people that are part of the Hollywood community that do this professionally that are like super moneyed and don't have to worry about things. And so it's a real support system. And you have so many people there who once you sit down and talk to these people, like you're like, oh, my God, like you're instrumental to a huge part of history in this industry. Do we say those people's names often? Do we throw awards to celebrate them? No. Not really, you know? Yeah. So so to me, you know, the 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 transient nature of this is is something that I'm really aware of. And so as with anything in life, you just you just hope that people remember you with a good taste in their mouth and not a bad yeah. one. Yeah. Well, from what I can say, <laughs> only good things cut to will you have comments there'll be like all sorts of comments like Alana's a bitch no. well they'll be deleted because I will take no negativity thank you I appreciate that but I thank want you. your <laughs> honest res- honest thoughts <laughs> but this is so amazing thank you so much for giving You're me welcome. so thank much you. of your time I'm of very very grateful slash like like bowing down to Miss Alana Mayo this is awesome so thank you Alana cheers of course
Yeah, I was fangirling all over the place. <laughs> Alana has been on my radar for so many years and to finally get to meet her and have this conversation and record it and get to share it with you guys, it just really brought me so much joy. I also feel incredibly hopeful to know that Alana has partnered with Michael B. Jordan, one of the most prominent actors of our time, to spearhead change so that we can one day have a more inclusive, diverse industry. And what more can you ask for, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe, like, rate, review, wherever you get your podcast. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show is at Life with Kaka. I'd love to hear what you think about the show, what you've taken away so far, and what other kaka you'd like to hear. Thank you so much for doing this life thing with me, and we'll see you next week. Beijos.